As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all off-season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, I don't know how it got to be December already. Uh, Thanksgiving in the rearview mirror already. Winter meetings <laughs> just days away already. But here we are. Uh, th- does this already feel like the shortest, quote-unquote, off-season ever? Well, I mean, I, I have a great appreciation for what you've done all this time because – I actually that was my first like post to post playoff experience. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's quite an I mean, experience. I, you know, I guess I played for a little bit, got to, but I didn't get to the World Series. So, wow, that is, um, it, it's yeah, the sleep deprivation month is an understatement. I think that was, uh, it's more like a coma month, month of coma or something. So, uh, yeah, it feels like it just ended every day. I'm like, oh, it just ended. And then I'm looking up and say, oh wait a minute, it's like past Thanksgiving now. So, so here we go. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it did just end. I, I didn't get home from the World Series until it was almost midnight, November 6th. Uh, but, you know, one of the good things that comes with the off season that I love is it's also Hall of Fame season. Uh, the writer's ballot just got announced. We can get to that at some, one of these shows. But uh, on Sunday night, uh, I think there's a good chance we'll have at least one new Hall of Famer. And that's because the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee, which is recently, uh, it's a new thing, 
It'll meet Sunday for the first time in San Diego. And they're going to consider a really interesting group of names. Uh, But the moment that I saw the ballot, and then especially uh, last week when I saw the makeup of this committee, I thought Fred McGriff was the clear favorite to get elected. And if that happens, all I can say is it's about frigging time, right? Um, You know, I'll give you some historical perspective on the crime dog in a minute. But, Doug, you played against him. I think he was around your whole career. So I'd love to see your, I'd love to hear how you saw Fred McGriff uh, in his time as a fellow player. You know, Fred McGriff was, you know, he had, um, I felt like he was a pioneer or a trendsetter. There was, you know, it's like he would, he'd be the player that went viral before viral, right? He had, you know, everybody, <laughs> to me, everybody loved his swing, right? You know, he finished high. And, and I remember Ryan Klesko and, you know, something about what he did was so, uh, had such an impact. Uh, the calm, the consistency, the sort of one step ahead of you kind of feeling. Uh, and uh, and I found he had just respect and admiration from all facets of the game, uh, whether it was on a mentorship level, whether it was, you know, hitting in the prime, prime time, so to speak. The guy just uh, transcended and found a way to, you know, the, the Tom Amansky commercials. You know, so, yeah. I mean, the guy, you know, he was just Classic. like everywhere and – and the nickname was one of the best of all time. And you always think of those commercials. So I don't know. I, I always saw him as, you know, bit larger than life in many regards, even though he was really calm and quiet and humble when you talk to him. Uh, there was something about him that you wanted to follow. So that, that's what I always think of him. It, it wasn't even the numbers or, you know, just every day, you just kind of knew what you were going to expect. And I'm sure I caught him more of the latter, maybe latter-ish part of his career, yeah. but um, you know, I know he played in Tampa and other places, but yeah. And I, I saw him not long ago at the All-Star Game, took a picture. So I'll make sure I post it with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, my uh, my wife actually made it into a Peter Gammons notes column. <laughs> that big, you know, the famous Sunday Peter Gammons notes columns back in the 90s. Uh, this is her finest moment. Okay. All because of Fred McGriff. If you remember, Fred McGriff in 93, I think, right, got traded to the Braves. And he, the night he arrived, the stadium caught on fire. Do you remember <laughs> yeah, that? I remember <laughs> so, so the like the Padres were just unloading everybody. They trade Fred McGriff to the Braves. In the middle of the first game, the stadium catches on fire because <laughs> there was some kind of kitchen <laughs> incident, whatever. So... Uh, we're watching this thing on TV and like it hits her. My w- Lisa, my wife says it's, it's kind of like out of the fire sale into the fire. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, this is your greatest line ever. So I called Gammons and I said, you got to hear this line from Lisa. And so the next Sunday it like his notes column comes out and she's, in it. It's her, she's so proud of it that, Doug, I guarantee if you ever run into Lisa and you say to her, 
Fred McGriff, <laughs> she'll repeat that line, like just right at the top of her head. She, I always say to her, you know, you can't just come up with one quote. The reason Glanville and I hope this podcast is he had a thousand quotes. You had one line. You got to you got to move on. Come up with another line. But uh, it's fine. Um, anyway, you mentioned you, 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 you didn't want to necessarily talk about Fred McGriff's numbers. I can do that for you, Doug. And um, let me frame it this way. Um, I've written about this quite a bit. I honestly think that no one who played in the PED era had his candidacy for the Hall of Fame overshadowed more than Fred McGriff. And let me try to explain why. Um, Basically, for a decade and a half, he was exactly the same player. He had exactly (laughs) the same season. He had exactly the same Slash line. I could I could read the numbers for you, but the, the point is, you know what wasn't the same while this was going on? Everyone else was not the same. Uh, Fifteen years, starting in I think this was '88, uh, he was averaging 31 homers a year and barely under 400 on base, 900 OPS, and 100 RBIs. So the late '80s. PEDs had not really taken over the sport yet. So for the first five years that he was having these seasons, he was a home run champ two times, and he was almost the home run champ every year. Uh, He was all over the league leaderboard in all those categories we just talked about. And then in 1993, the world began to change. And so Mm -hmm. he started having... He was still having the same years, the same seasons, but... All of a sudden, if you hit 35 or 36 or 37 or 41 homers, you weren't leading the league anymore. You had to hit 50. You had to hit 60. You had to hit 70. So if you were looking at the leaderboard in those years, you almost never found his name. But I think that kind of defines what it was like to be a clean player, especially a clean slugger in that time. All right, so now Fred McGriff's career is over. Uh, Those of us who vote in the Hall of Fame had the job of assessing his career, and we just missed. We missed on him. It's amazing that he never got 40% on any ballot when we were voting on him. But now he's got a new chance uh, in front of a very different group. Um, Two guys who played with him. Greg Maddox and Chipper Jones are on the committee, uh, along with a bunch of players who played against him in his prime. And, uh, you know, I've served on these committees. I think Fred McGriff just fits the definition of the kind of players that they elect. So I, I honestly think that on Sunday night, Fred McGriff is getting in. Um, so let me ask you about the other names on the ballot, I, I'm curious about. Uh, like, I'm curious who you would vote for if you were in the room. Uh, the other names: Bonds, Clemens, uh, Rafael Palmero. That's the PED group. Your your friend Kurt Schilling, friend and former teammate Albert Bell, Dale Murphy, and Don Mattingly plus Fred McGriff. So. Doug, if, uh, we're, we're going to assume that you're voting for Fred McGriff. You have two more slots on your mm. ballot. Who are you taking from those names? Bonds, Clemens, Palmero, Schilling, Albert Bell, 
Dale Murphy, Don Mattingly. Yes. What well, think? this is why the voters, it's a very hard job. And uh, <laughs> it's really hard. And I, I mean, obviously, I've said a number of times with the PED scenario, even though what's kind of unfair is I'm sure there's many people we don't know just because they didn't get caught. So, but if you did get caught, you, I got I to gotta scratch you off. So that's that's easy for me. Um, well, wait a second. So that's Rafael Palmero. Yeah. Um, well, anybody did Bonds and Clemens quote unquote okay, get caught? caught, indicted, whatever. You know, I mean, yes. And this is why it's the slippery slope. And I know, okay. since I've yeah. ranted about this a number of times, I'm going to spare the New Year's audience. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to go. We're not going to go through all the details again. But yes. you got to be careful how you phrase it. Right. But I mean, <laughs> that's true. I know. I do. I mean, but yes, phrasing, investigated, all these things. It's um, it's definitely complicated. But um. So that's why for the rest of these guys, as you mentioned, that you kind of eliminated, um, you know, they're all fantastic. And I don't know, like Kurt Schilling was, you know, it's definitely the best pitcher I played with, <clears throat> certainly from a day-to-day standpoint. And, um, you know, just an outstanding pitcher, won the World Series a number of times. So I know that, that that's, that's a vote I would, I would take if, a, you know, if I had to go down to a few. I mean, Mattingly, now in terms of numbers, like Mattingly and Bell, I'm not down to the nitty gritty of their numbers. So I think the best thing I can do is kind of give the merits of the other cases. You know, I know like if you look at Dale Murphy, Murphy reminds me of, of Fred McGriff. You know, he's a guy Very not much. associated, you know, PD kind of came before it was, he was before the time. He played, he was steady, he was one of the best players. He stole bases, he was a defender. He did everything, but he was just at a time where the shift became just about one-dimensional home run hitters. And and so that's how the back end of his career sort of clouded over all the great things he did. So for me, that's where, on, on a principal level, yeah, Murphy was always, he got overshadowed. And and although his, I don't think his numbers necessarily, I know the trophy, but, you know, compared to, say, Mattingly, batting average, all those things. So that's why, I don't know, between the, if you have to pick two out of those four, if you're talking about Schilling, Bell, Murphy, Mattingly, I don't know. I, I can only just make the merits for all of them, which is why I think it's a really tough vote. Um, and and just to understand, they they get to vote how many or how many can get in. It's seventy five percent. Well, when I when I was on the committee, uh, actually, as long as those committees existed, there were sixteen people in the room, and you had four slots on your ballot. Uh, if you remember the last year, the committee <laughs> elected so many players that I I think the reorganization of the committees is a re, is a reflection of that that they don't really want the the era committees electing that many players. So it, the that's a long way of saying that they've gone from four slots on the ballot down to three, three and it's going to make it really challenging just mathematically for more than one player to get elected when you start doing the math on how many total votes are in the room, 48 total votes, mm-hmm. um, if, for two to get elected, you'd have to have, they'd have to eat up at least 24 of the 48 total votes. It's going to be really challenging yeah. for more than one to get elected. But it just, to me, it's going to be fascinating to see how this turns out. Um, I've been on committees um uh, that looked at Dale Murphy and Don Mattingly. And uh, if I remember right, neither of them got enough votes 
where they announced the total. Um, my sense is that that was because uh, the, 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 the players in the room felt their peaks were too short. But, I mean, the, both of those guys were in the best player in baseball conversation for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to be said for having a best player in baseball peak. So you never know how one committee, one group of people will look at them versus another. Um, and it's going to be really fascinating to see how a totally different collection of voters looks at Bonds and Clements. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I find it hard to believe that this group will look at them in a way where they're willing to overlook stuff and elect them. I don't know. Uh, Kurt Schilling is the kind of player I could see getting elected. Um, outside of Theo, I don't think he's got a direct connection to anyone in the room. I don't know. It's just who's in the room makes a big difference when they come to vote. All I know is very excited to see what happens. The announcement is 8 p.m. Eastern time, Sunday, 5 p.m. San Diego time. It'll be on MLB Network. I can't wait. Uh, and Doug, you know what else I can't wait for? Yeah. The chance to talk to our very special guest this week. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, you know, one thing we are always thankful for here in Starkville is the great people in baseball who take time out of their busy lives to visit us. So we are incredibly grateful that this week it's the manager of the Dodgers, Dave Roberts, who is in the house. Dave, thank you so much for stopping by Starkville. Oh, no, Jason, Doug, this is good. Um, I've uh, admired for so many years and obviously you have a great relationship so to kind of have a chat um you know just got through thanksgiving i've been i'm looking forward to this it's gonna be fun yeah well that's actually a, a good place to start i look i know your off season started a little quicker than you would envision but what's been the highlight of your off season so far have you made any trips or any holes in one get you have a personal record for most thanksgiving food eating, anything <laughs> right. like that so um, it's actually, um, yeah, it certainly ended sooner than uh, I had expected or hoped. Um, so right then, so uh, we finished losing to the Padres. Uh, I'm in San Diego. That's where I live. And uh, we lost at, at uh, Petco. So knowing that the Padres are going to continue to move on, um, there's a town of San Diego Padre fans. So I'm like, babe, we got to get out of town. And when I say out of town, <laughs> We got to go to the other side of the pond. So 
What we did is that we uh, got two tickets and we went to London. Oh, and wow. so guys, it was so much fun. It was my first time to London and uh, we took in a show. Um, I think it was called Come From Away. Uh, oh yeah, that's awesome. It was a 9-11 show. Um, so that right. was fantastic. Um, met up with a, a Philly favorite, um, all-time favorite, Chase Utley mm-hmm. and his wife, Jen, who are there. <laughs> living in London now, yeah. right? Yeah, they're living in London Amazing. now. Um, so we just had a dinner with them. And then we did some shopping, um, went to Oxford uh, for the day. So that was fantastic. And then the last trip we just did before Thanksgiving, uh, we had, this was planned a year in advance. It was a friend of ours, um, 70th birthday. So they flew us all to Spain. Mm. And I say all, it was six other couples. Oh. So uh, it was a life of luxury <laughs> and uh, it was fantastic. So, and it was like when we drove up, it was like to this castle thing. Bands, and it's like the whole crew was there to greet us. So we had a great time. So I'm kind of good now, recovered from 2022 um, <laughs> and uh, ready to kind of tackle 2023. Doug, he went to a castle. It was insane. I love it. I mean, I well, I always think about like, was it R.A. Dickey? Didn't he climb like Mount Kilimanjaro or something in the off season? Or, or Mount, yeah. So was there... I think he did. So is there anything from all that? <laughs> what's your takeaway? Did you, do you feel like you reset? And uh... You know what? I think the takeaway is, and I've gotten better at this over the years, is you pour so much into the season. And, um, you know, it's every day. And it's 11, 12 hours a day. And even when you're not at the ballpark, there's always something and, and it consumes your mind. And as a manager, you're always... Uh, giving, whether it's your time or, you know, you play psychologist a lot with players and obviously with media and, and trying to uh, keep things afloat and moving forward. So I've really learned that, you know, once the season's over, I do got to kind of reset, uh, separate myself to kind of fill back my tank. Um, so that's kind of the, the growth for me. So then, you know, when you get to spring training, you can put your head down and go for eight and a half months and have that kind of uh, bandwidth and energy to, to survive that. Yeah. Well, luck- luckily you have us to, to bring you back to reality. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> no, but you know what, Jason, is that I've done some Zooms recently uh, with some uh, some pitchers and um, free agent pitchers. So I'm sure you guys got a couple of names and some ideas. So, you know, when you start getting on the Zooms and you get the pitching coach, Mark Pryor, talking about pitching and pitch shaping, you st- those juices start getting going. So I'm kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm ready now. Let's do this. And my wife's like, hold your horses. I still want some time with you at home. Yeah, well, we might ask you about a couple of those pitchers, but um, I, I, I know it's hard to talk about how last season ended, but we should do that. Yeah, your, your team won 111 games. It's the most wins by any National League team since 1906. So, you know, if the postseason just turns out the way you hoped it turns out, we're talking about the Dodgers' claim to historic greatness. Uh, I mean, you alluded to that's not how October worked for you guys how should we all look at the 2022 Dodgers now well that's a, that's a great question um you know I, I mean we had a great year we we had a great year um so it, it's hard to take away from 
the 162 season that we had and how well we played. Um, if I talk about playoff format, it, it, it's, uh, you know, you're, it's sour grapes. Um, so I, I do, though, believe even before this, you know, it, it's we lost. It, it's kind of it. I just don't think it defines, you know, the best teams for the course of the sample of baseball. It's 162. And then there's a lot of other variables or teams that have an opportunity to get hot at the right time and move forward. And the Phillies were a prime example of that. You know, this is a team that the last week of the season, they were fighting tooth and nail to get into the postseason and they end up in the World Series. So you got to give credit to those guys for playing well at the right point in time. Um, you know, when we first, you know, Jason, when you first started covering games, you know, it was, um, I probably was, you know, there's two teams from the National League, two teams from the American League. Right. And then that sample size of a major league season um, kind of represented the postseason. Um, and it gave the best teams of the regular season to kind of show in the World Series or whatever in the postseason. So it's different. I understand the 2022 Dodgers had a great year. But, yeah, you know, if we would have finished, uh, you know, we could have been looked at one of the best teams of all time. Okay, so you alluded to this. Um, do you think the postseason format needs to change in some way? And how would you change it if we put you in charge? You know, um, that's one of those things that with baseball and life, um, I, I've kind of – come to the, the consensus that what's the solution? And so you can't and shouldn't complain about something if you don't have a solution. And um, so to be quite honest, Jason, I don't have a solution because economics, revenue, TV, uh, fan bases, all that stuff matters. Um, so fortunately, that isn't my job. My job is to prepare a major league baseball team for whatever is thrown our way. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't really him and haul because I don't have a better answer. And that's the honest truth. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely feel for you. And I do think that baseball should look at ways to better reward teams that have a regular season like yours. But I also have covered enough postseason baseball to know that if you don't want upsets, you shouldn't have playoffs because that's kind of the nature of every playoff system in every sport. It just happens. But when it does, I know it's painful. It's always painful. What Was this extra painful? I, I mean, not to, um, to delve into this too deeply, but, I mean, you got eliminated by the Padres, a team that finished 22 games behind your team during the regular season in the same division. And that in and of itself feels almost unjust on a certain level. We, uh, we, we, uh, I was a part of losing a game seven uh, to the Houston Astros at, at Dodger Stadium in 2017. And this elimination was on par with that. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we play, we dominated the Padres all year. Um, and, and so to now play a five game series and, to lose to a, a division rival, it was devastating. It was just hard for me uh, to recover from this one. And, um, you know, it's also as a manager, when you have really high character guys, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, you know, Clayton Kershaw, all these guys are just great guys. And uh, you want that for them. And, um, and so it was very solemn and very quiet. You know, after uh, we we lost that last game, well, and, and Dave, you know you've had 
such a great playoff run, you know, by any mark in any industry, this is an incredible run of success, you know. Um, and, and I'm curious, when you look at that transition from 162 going into the postseason, have you made any conclusions about what has to be done differently to, to manage in these moments? I mean, is there any, you know, secret sauce to like, what you found to work well, because like you said, the team that wins 162 isn't necessarily going to be the team standing, you know, through that type of system. You know, um, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think about that a lot, you know, it's, as a manager, it's like, could I have done something different? And um, so obviously I think if you looked at the postseason, you manage uh, with a little bit more urgency. And I say urgency more so on the pitching side. Um, and, and you saw that with Rob Thompson. You saw that with, um, you know, maybe not as much with Bob Melvin. He he, he played it a little bit slower. Um, but you saw it all the way throughout the postseason where guys um, manage a little bit more aggressively uh, with their starters, uh, with the guys in the pen. Um, so... I don't know, Doug. I think it's one of those things that when it doesn't work, certainly the postseason is more magnified and it's the wrong decision. Um, and then when it does work, um, you know, it's forgotten about and then you're moving on to the next situation or potential decision that needs to be made. Um, I will say, I think that in the postseason, um, the offensive winning 90 feet, um, spoiling pitches, getting a base hit, hitting the ball the other way, uh, getting a hit with two outs. I think that's something that certainly you can't just make happen. But, you know, when we've been successful in the postseason, we've done a much better job of that versus um, when we don't have success. Uh, you know, we're not hitting with score, running scoring position. We're punching out a lot more. Uh, we're not taking the base hit or making adjustments. And I think the Phillies, again, uh, did a really nice job, you know, all postseason of that. Uh, you know, you touched on pitching decisions, and I, this is something I've been thinking about uh, since your season ended. Um, you know, I felt like during that division series, uh, like you were in the most difficult situation any manager can face in October. Uh, Craig Kimbrell was not on your roster. You, you, you didn't have a defined closer. So that kind of means that in every game, you're trying to match the right reliever to the right situation in the right pocket in the lineup. And hey, not that it can't be done, but it, it does mean you have to get every decision right. Uh, it's hard. How challenging is that to do it that way? No, it, it, it's very challenging. And, and you know, and it's, it's kind of one of those things where, um, yeah, you don't have that guy that you can just say, we didn't have that guy that we can just say, hey, you know, go out there and sink or swim with this guy. He's going to throw 115, 120 pitches. And, you know, he's the best option at that point, And he always is. Um, so um, it, it's kind of the roster that we had. And I loved our roster. We won 111 games. Um, but when you're talking about the postseason and um, there is something to, um, you know, I think at one point, Jason, you just got to think at this point in the game, whether it's the fifth inning, the sixth inning, whatever pitch count the guys at third time through second time through, is there a better option? And, you know, and those time, those are the decisions that the manager has to make. And, you know, sometimes, and I'll reference, you know, Rob Thompson, you know, he went early to the, 
and it worked out. And then when he did the same thing another time and it didn't work out, Alvarado gives it up, then it's the wrong decision. So um, you just got to kind of go with what you feel at that point in time and, you know, hope and pray it works out. But it doesn't mean it's the wrong decision if it doesn't work out. So that's something I've kind of come uh, reconciled with and trusting, you know, our process. You know, when you stole that famous base for the Red Sox in uh, 2004, um, the world was so different. One of the things that made that stolen base so memorable was Mariano Rivera was on the mound because, of course, he was. And and now we live in a world where, hey, there are quite a few teams that no longer have just one closer. So I wonder, do you, do you see your team this winter pursuing a closer or someone who's at least whose clear role would be to get big outs in the late innings, whether that's the ninth inning or not? I, I don't. I don't. I, I think that certainly uh, there's some guys out there that are defined closers, but I, I think where we're at, um, I, I think the bullpen next year is going to be a position of strength. We had a lot of guys uh, finish out games for us that'll be on the roster next year. So um, I, I just don't see us going that route. You know, Dave, I'm wondering about like when you you talk about the bullpen and I guess how much do you have to weigh, you know, the personnel in the room versus the system, right? Like there's, I always feel like there's a tug of war at times. Like we know generally what works and we're trying to like put these guys in, but you're trying to adapt also to whether it's injury or, but then you get to the postseason, it's all concentrated. Uh, Do you find that that there's the little bit of that tug of war between you know, like a methodology of like how the organization approaches situations versus like who's in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, so it, there's a lot of conversations that go on um, with pitching, certainly. Um, and a methodology, a system, strengths, weaknesses, there's a lot of that goes into that and knowing the player and is the moment going to be too big for that player um you know as a coach you're always kind of the whole adage of put players in the best positions to have success and so with the information that we have um you know i have a lefty up there and bryce harper comes up and this guy can't spin the baseball that's a hard one for me to kind of reconcile and say hey in a big spot i want even though he throws with his left arm to try to get Bryce out where it's like, I need something going away from him. And so this guy's got velocity, um, but can't spin the baseball to Bryce Harper. For me, yeah, could he get the guy out? Sure. But I, am I going to put the organization's uh, fate in this player's hands, which I feel that he doesn't have the weapons to get Bryce Harper out in a big spot? I'll probably make another decision. And those are things that, you know, on the margins – you can kind of bet on a guy and go that route um, and live with kind of the consequences of knowing he doesn't have the weapons or you bet on the tool shed. Um, so those are kind of things that, yeah, we talk a lot about and me with the pitching guys, the front office, uh, we are aligned and we are. And so that's kind of, kind of a little peek behind the curtain. <laughs> Uh, hey, let's look forward a little bit at uh, maybe what else you'd like to see your team accomplish this offseason. Left side of your infield, Trey Turner, free agent, Justin Turner, free agent. Where do you think that could lead you? Well, uh, first off, you know, Trey's, uh, you know, he, he's earned this opportunity to test the market out. 
Um, I, I loved having Trey uh, with us. And so I know we're going to be by the backboard. And I, I think that uh, him and his wife, Kristen, softened up to the West Coast and loved Los Angeles. And we'll see if it makes sense. Um, but if it doesn't work with Trey, uh, we have, you know, one of our homegrown guys, Gavin Lux, who we're probably looking at kind of, you know, filling in right there at short. Um, Justin Turner's a free agent. And so um, I don't know how it's going to end up with Justin, who played some third base for us, who's been a stalwart with the, with the Dodgers and Roberto Clemente award winner and consummate professional. Um, but Max Muncy uh, played third for us last year, could slide over to second base. Uh, Miguel Vargas, guys, is uh, somebody who's going to play next year for us a lot. Whether he breaks with us or not, he's a guy that homegrown guy, top prospect. He needs a look, needs a runway. Um, so we're going to do that for him. But uh, I, I think Andrew Friedman is very good at kind of stand by the back. But like I said, uh, the backboard and seeing kind of what falls to us and what direction uh, we can go or pivot if we need to. Uh, you know, one name you didn't mention at second base was Mookie Betts. Just, just curious. Uh, is Mookie a realistic option to place a significant number of games at second base if that's how it falls? At his choice, yes. Uh, he loves second base. I know. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, I think the main thing is that his openness and willingness that obviously you're talking about a big right-handed uh, right fielder that is a free agent that could play right field. Um, which would make that move make sense. So, uh, again, we're, we're keeping all options open. Well, David, it's interesting. You know, it's almost like you looked ahead into the future because we talked a lot during the season. Uh, it's particularly in, like, August, September when Betts was playing second and guys were playing different positions. And you talked about how it kind of kept them sharp. And uh, do you see how that could actually play a benefit in how the Dodgers as an organization looks into free agency because you kind of created all this versatility. Absolutely. Um, you know, cause even it, it's, it's so powerful when the player um, owns it, wants it. Um, and for Mookie in this particular case, he just feels that he doesn't want a DH. Um, he doesn't want off days. So if he can play second base, that's a, break for his body his mind it keeps it fun and interesting uh, and he's a very good ball player and he can play there so you know to have that it's a huge benefit um and we have that same thing with max muncie who we can slide a second to third uh give him a dh day but having mookie in particular to go from the grass to the dirt um opens up a lot of things well, I, you know, I haven't thought enough about this. The idea of like one of the best outfielders on earth who then plays a bunch of games at second base every year. I don't think we've seen much of that. I'll, I'll get back to you once I've done the work on it. But amazing. Um, I, I want to ask you about your rotation, too. Um, Tyler Anderson just signed with the Angels. Did you see that coming? And he had a big year, right? So how tough a loss is that? Um, it, it's a big loss and we gave him a, the qualifying offer and, and he went and got a, I think it was a two or three year deal uh, with the angels. And, um, it's a big loss in the sense that, you know, not only the, 
the workload, uh, the posting, which he did uh, as well as anybody in baseball, um, the guy, the compete. And, and he even says, you know, his best tool is his uh, confidence and his compete. And a guy that throws 90 with a changeup, uh, he's got to have that confidence and trust to throw the ball over the plate. And um, so, yeah, having someone to kind of backfill log innings to be dependable uh, is something that we're certainly targeting. Um, you know, Clayton's back, Julio's back. We don't get Walker back uh, to hopefully September. Um, Dustin May is is will be healthy. He'll have a healthy offseason. But coming off TJ, you got to manage his innings. Uh, Tony Gonson was ailing. He'll be back. Um, you know, we got some other guys that are on the come in, in the system that are really close. But to have that kind of dependable major league starter um, is something that is going to be a priority for us. But yeah, Tyler's going to be a big loss. Uh, you mentioned Clayton. Have, have you talked to Clayton? Uh, he was so good in those 22 starts last year. I, like, I know he does a little different now, but um, the results were so similar to vintage Clayton. Uh, what, what's his state of mind these days and what, what's driving him? Well, um, you know, obviously he's a first ballot hall of famer. Um, you know, once he gets driving is, is to win a championship, another one. Um, I, I think with Clayton, the thing that I've seen as far as growth is he's more kind of open to, uh, where his body is at and where it's, and it doesn't take away from his desire or compete, but I think he's just more self-aware that you just can't go as hard as you can for as long as you can and expect it to just be there. And so we've managed his body, his innings uh, really well. And I think he's agreed with that, supported that. So when he does get on the mound, it, it's like you said, vintage Clayton, um, but to expect him to go out there and throw 200 innings, I don't think that we expect that, nor Clayton. But to have him ready for the postseason is sort of what we're all aligned with. Um, you, you, you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, your team's been linked with uh, some of the biggest starters on the market. I'm sure you don't want to name those names, so I'm happy to name them for you. Uh, Justin Verlander comes to mind. Jacob deGrom comes to mind. When I, when I start making my calls and ask about the Dodgers and all sorts of stuff, it's clear. Andrew is doing what he always does. He's in on everything and everybody. But in this case, is there a need uh, and a place <laughs> and enough dollars in the checking account for another top of the rotation type starter on your team? Um, yeah, you know, I, again, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, you, you, we, we talked about the right fielder who's free and then you're talking about top end starters. Um, so I, I think that we're going to be in play. And I think that for us kind of what makes sense for the roster um, every option's open, but yeah, you, you know, you talk about DeGrom, Verlander, you know, those are the two best guys on the market. And um, so there's certainly interest. And, and for me personally, I, I've admired how those guys go about things. And, you know, as a manager, you always want all the best players. So um, <laughs> I, I'm still trying to be sensitive to payroll, but 
I'll take uh, Verlander and DeGrom. So, <laughs> so um, you know, we have conversations a lot, but I, I am, I could, I'm probably biased, but I just think Andrew does it uh, better than anybody. I, I really do. Doug, see what happens when a guy hangs out in a castle? He wants all the stuff in the castle. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I like all the toys. Well, speaking of castles, um, one person I was crowned king when all was said and done was Dusty Baker. Uh, do you have any stories about Dusty? And I guess what did it mean for you to see him finally get his, his win? You know, um, I, I couldn't be more happy for Dusty. And, and he, I mean, that's not even like, that's not, that's just a starter. I mean, what he did uh, in his career and then managing and to finally get that, uh, he deserved it. Um, you know, one thing that really landed with me uh, in, in talking to Dusty is, you know, people don't say he was smart and he was a great field manager. And that's something that I just really hope Dusty gets that credit, you know, for the tactical parts of it, not only you know, just buying guys soul food and listening to good music. Um, but, you know, it, it's just amazing that a guy uh, his age can still be relatable um, to the current player, get the most out of them. Um, I, I just don't think that there's anybody uh, in baseball that could have taken the, the reins uh, with the Astros at that point in time and kind of, eliminate the distractions, right the ship, and uh, get those guys playing. So um, if I couldn't win it, I, I'm happy Dusty won it. Hey, I want to shift gears just a little bit, ask you about these rule changes that are about to complicate your life, life as a manager. Um, curious how your team is going about preparing for how the game will be played next year. And one of the things that's obvious is no team in baseball shifted more than the Dodgers did this past season. And that shift is now dead. So how differently do you have to look at who plays in your infield, um, how, pricely, how precisely you can position them, uh, and how you can still go about finding a defensive edge within these rules? Well, um, it's it certainly on both sides of the baseball. So on the defensive side, uh, having – a guy that has the arm strength um, to play shortstop, I, I think it's going to really show itself because that 5.5 Tony Gwynn hole uh, is going to really play. And I think that's what people want to see, that Gary Templeton kind of be able to make that play, the throw across the diamond. And you're going to have to have that guy that can not only get to the baseball and secure it, but get it across the diamond. Um, you know, as far as second base, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think as far as defensive strategy, Jason, it's it's going to be, you know, do you still want the first baseman on the line to then have the second baseman over in the hole to potentially cover up potential slug as far as intent to pull the baseball to then give up the ball, the grounder that's straightaway second base? Or do you go conventional and give up the bullet through the, the four hole and let the hitter have intent on still pulling the ball in the air. But when he puts it on the ground, somebody's there. So those are going to be some decisions that I think it's going to be fun for us to kind of see. First thought for me, I'll try to take away the intent for slug and have that second baseman over there in the hole, first baseman on the line, 
Uh, you take away the double down the line. And if they get a base hit and stay inside the baseball and hit it to straightaway second, I'll take that. Um, so that's one part of it. The other side of it is look at for low-hanging fruit hitters that were most victim to the shift. And calculus on finding guys that have some opportunity to have some more success without the shift. So it, it's going to be fun. I, I think it's pretty interesting, actually. It's really interesting. Uh, well, Dave, Dave, I want to make one quick proposal with Mookie Betts. I think you invent a new position. You call it right baseman. You just kind of, because he can do both. I mean, that's a rare thing. And you have him like kind of shallow right field. And then he does everything for you. And I, I bet you Betts will revolutionize the position. <laughs> hey, uh, that's on the table. That's on the table. Then you're just going to have to. We'll have a uh, Mookie in shallow right. We'll have uh, a center fielder over there in right, and have a <laughs> rover in center. So there you go. I like it. Yeah, I I I know that was a joke, Doug. But uh, hey, their team's thinking of just what Dave said. There's going to be some funky outfields this year. There are um, because I think that's the thing that with the shift, um, what you can't quantify is what it does to the psyche of the player, and so now. You know, you get up, you get up there, you're ready to hit, and then left field's wide open, and now you've got to continue. Now you got to just change your psyche. So, uh, what that does with the fastball that you foul off that you could have pulled in the air. So, those are things that I, I love that game within the game component. Yeah. Hey, how about pitch clock? Uh, I, I know Kenley Jansen doesn't pitch for you anymore, but I'm just looking at this with men on base last year. Kenley averaged more than 31 seconds between pitches. I just wonder how challenging it's going to be for pitchers like him, Craig Kimbrell's like this, for so many relief pitchers to adjust to the pitch clock. Um, I don't think it's going to be as much uh, as difficult as people might think. You know, Kenley and and Craig are certainly uh, extreme. Um, But, you know, players are adaptable. And so once you kind of put it in and play the rules, they'll, they'll adjust. Um, so I, I like the pitch clock because I've seen it in the minors and, you know, you see these young pitchers that come up from, from AAA and they work quickly. The, the pace of play is good. So I, I think it's a good thing. I, I think it will be good for the game and keep kind of the flow good. And I know about, well, I think of the stolen base. We talk about your historic stolen base, but now you have these big bases. I mean, have, <laughs> have you worked with them at all or just sort of seen uh, how it plays out? No, I haven't. But, Doug, it would have been nice if they would have had uh, the the bigger bases for you and I. And um, you can't throw over three times. Or if you throw over three times, then you got to get them out. So, man, I would have been more of an asset. Uh, these days. Um, so I haven't toyed with it. I certainly, I like it. Um, I, I think as far as keeping uh, first baseman infielders more healthy, um, you know, the couple inches on each side, uh, first, second, third, um, it just promotes offense. So I'm okay with kind of evolving and I'm old school traditional, but you know, you still got to evolve. And um, that's something that I'm happy baseball is doing. I think that we're a little too slow moving in my opinion and in some things, but uh, I think it's good. Hey, you and Glanville would have stolen a hundred a year with these rules, man. <laughs> yeah. We'd have said, who's Ricky Henderson, man. <laughs> exactly. All right. We, look, we can't possibly let you leave Starkville without playing America's favorite game, 
know your Dave Roberts managerial trivia. Would you like to play that game? Uh, and before you answer, you should know you're not allowed to say no. Absolutely. I was waiting for this. <laughs> Were you? Okay. Well, I'm happy that we can make you happy. Uh, look, the game's easy to play. It's one question, multiple choice. Here we go. Your career record as a manager is 653 and 381. That's a winning percentage of 632, which is incredible. I, I'm not sure that you even know this, but... That's the best winning percentage in baseball history by anyone who has managed a thousand games or more. Did, did you know that? It's pretty cool. Um, I learned that this year. Um, it, it's very cool. And I, I don't appreciate it enough because I just kind of live to get to the next game. But when you're talking about the names, it, it just it's mind blowing. Yeah, it, it's cool, but it's not the actual question. Here's the here's the here's the question. Uh, only one other current manager even has a career winning percentage of six hundred or better. So is it A. Dusty Baker, B. Terry Francona, C. Kevin Cash, or D. Aaron Boone? You want the names again? Dusty Tito. Cash Boone. I'm going to go D Booney. You know, this is why Dave Roberts was looking forward to this game because he nailed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, Booney's uh, 603 career winning percentage. Uh, that's in, only in 700 games, but we're, we're going to count it. Uh, just so everybody knows, Tito's at 542 and uh, that, that's actually Glanville's fault. These Phillies <laughs> teams weren't real good. Those <laughs> uh, Dusty, uh, 539. Uh, Kevin Cash, 536. But Dave Roberts, you have nailed Know Your Dave Roberts managerial trivia. That is that better than hanging out at a castle? <laughs> Absolutely. Hanging out in Starkville. Are you kidding me? So... <laughs> My my only time in Starkville was in Mississippi, where we got beat by the Bulldogs and Ron Polk uh, in college in the in the in the in the uh, in the regional. So this was a much better experience. In Starkville. Well, we will build we will build you a castle in our Starkville just to combine. Yeah, it. We, we don't even get to go to White Castle. This guy goes to real castles. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, we got to make sure we run this back uh, when spring training starts. This was great. Yeah, I would love to do that, man. Hey, Dave. Pleasure talking to you as always. Uh, thanks so much for making time for us. Hope your holidays are amazing and look forward to seeing you at the winter meeting. So thank you. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
The Old Man and the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, Doug, take a deep breath. We have our work cut out for us, man, because it's time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Uh, we crushed it in trivia last offseason for reasons that defy all logic. Uh, you think we can actually do that uh, again this winter, Doug? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, uh, I think I've got too much turkey going on here. So uh, once I digest it, I think we might get on a run. See, so what there's tryptophan and turkey. Do not nod off before we finish answering the question, okay? I actually think we have a shot at it. Okay, we'll find out. Let's welcome in this week's special trivia guest star. It is Zach Farber. Zach, welcome to Starkville. Thank you. Glad to be back. Uh, you know, I know you've been here before, so re- remind us where you're from, uh, what team you pay attention to, and w- what was the trivia that you hit us with before? So I'm from New York, obviously a, a Met fan as a result. Uh, obviously. Because there's only one well. team in New York you can obviously be a fan of. <laughs> well, there, there's only one team that matters in New York. <laughs> okay, then. And but, what was yeah. your question last time? Do you remember? Last time, I don't know, but I think I think you guys got it last time, which Ooh, uh, yes. so hope, so we'll wow. see if you guys can stay on that like streak. All right, so will history repeat itself? Mm. Well, we're gonna we're gonna find out. Yes. Uh, yeah. Zach, why don't you hit us with your question? All right, so Todd Helton finished his career with an on base percentage of four fourteen mm. and a slugging percentage of five thirty nine. Amazing, very impressive. There are only three active players who have a minimum of. 2,500 career plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Also have a on-base percentage above 400 and a slugging percentage above 500. Wow. Okay. Man. Uh, let me just ask a couple of quick follow-up questions. Uh, yep. We're no longer considering Albert Pujols to be active, right? That is correct. Okay. okay. And is there a minimum number of career plate appearances that apply yep. here? 2,500. 2,500. Okay. So that would translate to about five seasons. Um, mm-hmm. uh Bad news is that Doug, that kills my favorite guess here. You're Don Alvarez. I thought for sure he was going to be the stumper, but there's no way he has 2,500 plate appearances, so he's out. Okay. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. would be out. Uh, I'm saying. Yep. Um, all right, so let's think through who is left. Two of these feel like they're easy. Mike Trout, Bryce Harper. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm about 99.9999999% certain. They would clear both bars. But then, who else? <laughs> There's so many possibilities. Um, I wrote a bunch of names down. Let's try to run through them. Aaron Judge definitely did it this year. Does he have the 400 on-base lifetime? I don't know. have to think about it. Freddie Freeman. 
uh, he feels like he's the answer, but then I started thinking about it. I wasn't sure if he was quite at 500 or quite at 400. Yes. I, 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 I think he, I think he has them both, but let, let's, let, let's keep going. Right. Okay. Uh, Joey Votto was definitely on the list at one time. Miguel Cabrera was definitely on the list at one time. I think they have both slipped off the list, but maybe. I mean, you can't go wrong guessing them. Uh, Juan Soto, obviously over 400 on base. Is he at 500 slugging? Uh, he didn't even slug 400 this year, did he? No. So I have to give that one some thought. And he's, he's another one. I'm not sure he's 2, at 2,500. Yeah, I wasn't sure. He, he might be. I mean, how many years? Uh, yeah, it might be. Uh, 20, arbitration, 18. you know, the, the big thing about how they had another year of control. So is he at year five? Well, let's see. He, he and Bryce played together briefly in 2018. Then Bryce left. So 19, 20, 21, 22. Boy, it's really close. Mm. Uh, all right, then I, th- I thought about Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. Jose Ramirez. <laughs> Might as well throw Otani in there just because it's fun to mention okay. Otani. But I, I don't think any of those three are right. Mm. I would be leaning toward, I'd say, Freddie Freeman or Miggy. But, Doug, what do you think? I mean, you literally have the same names I have over here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, Votto, I, like I just wasn't sure. I know he's had a tough run. But yeah, ever since he was on Starkville, his <laughs> career slugging percentage has plummeted. It's all your fault. I mean, Soto, yeah, because of this year, I, I feel like that hurt his slugging. You know, I don't know, but he definitely has the um, Judge. Mm. Yeah, that's right. that's the, the killer. I mean, I, yeah, it was Freeman. Freeman always strikes me as like three ninety six and five ninety five. He's gonna. I feel like he's gonna hit us like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you know, Miggy had a decade and a half oh, yeah. where he was clearly over both lines. But how? I mean, he's 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 barely he hitting, hitting over the Mendoza line now in terms of average. Yeah. So how much has that pecked away at his mm. other numbers? Man, didn't Votto say? Didn't it wasn't it one of his goals? Like he's got to be. Yeah, he. I know he was when he was on our show. He was, at he was definitely in that club, but that's almost two years ago now. Well, he so, came back re- this year, right? Um, man, I don't know. I, mean, I guess Freeman, yeah, Trout Harper, and we're sure Trout Harper. I mean, I, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure. All right, now, let's not talk us out of the ones we yeah, think we pretty- know. <laughs> all right, all right, let's just try to pretty- pick one from Freeman, Miggy, mm-hmm. Judge. Uh, uh, all right, Fred, I think Freeman. Then I, I think your instinct, your first thing to say, because I just, I don't know. I mean, I know judges this year kind of. It's one of those things where he could have been at, you know, three ninety two, but then he had this monster year, and you kind of forget that he yeah. snuck in there. On bases is hard, but I, it it is true that the power generates the on base because it's fear of throwing a pitch anywhere near the strike zone because yeah. we know what happens to it. So, all right, you know, I was. We, we should just guess. Yeah, I, all right, um, we'll go. I mean, you said Freeman. Yeah. I, I wanted like because we always talk like, ourselves out of it, so we stay with your original. I mean, it's certainly a great guess. So, <laughs> Freeman, Trump, yeah, like Harper. how 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 dopey can we look if we get it wrong and we guessed Freddie Freeman? So, right, Zach, is there any chance it's Mike <laughs> Trout, Bryce Harper, 
and Freddie Freeman. Well, you guys mentioned all the right answers, but you only got one of three. Oh, no. <laughs> really? Okay. Really? That's, that's good. I'm, yep. You got. Yep. Bryce, you got Mike so I guess Bryce is the one. Mike Trout's the one. Mike Trout's the one. Bryce is under 400. He's a 390 on base percentage. Oh, man. Okay, then. All right. So. Trout and so, then so who? Trout, Miggy, Judge. Nope, Judge, Judge and Miggy are, are uh, 394 and 384 oh, on, on okay. Sunday. So. Votto Soto? <laughs> yep, Trout, Votto wow. Soto. Trout, Votto Soto. Now, we were all over it. We, You know, I was just reading through the Bill James handbook, and that was, I know that's in there. I guess I should have spent more time looking at that page. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Um, Soto. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I like, think Votto just willed himself into it, you know, just it, yeah, meditating. Yeah. Just got himself over yeah, I mean, so you know, if you're if you're in that 300, 400, 500 slash line club, that's Hall of Fame material. So, that, Freeman, where's Freddie what? Freeman in this, by the way? Freeman's a three eighty six on base percentage, five hundred nine slugging. Five hundred nine. Okay. All awesome. right. Great. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, whatever. It's time <laughs> for the best part of the trivia segments. By which I always mean the part that doesn't involve me or Glanville. Uh, it's the part where we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, uh, for another one of his fabulous play-by-play clips involving this week's answer. And the possibilities this week are incredible. Yeah. Tim, what do you got? But nothing historic. That's the one drawback of this question, right? They're all active guys. Um, I will say the one clue that I don't know if you picked up on, even though you talked about it, was the plate appearances because the line was set at 2,500 yeah. specifically because Juan Soto is at 2,650. Right. Oh. So that was the yeah. to, to get Juan Soto in. Because actually, if you go to Baseball Reference and search that, they go by 3,000 plate appearances. Oh. And it's only Trout and Votto that pop up. Nice. So, nice. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, on to the <laughs> audio, which we're going to go with. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Mike Trout doesn't have any postseason big moments. Um, Votto. Yeah, so we're going to go with Juan Soto because the Washington Nationals trip to the World Series, he had some big moments on that run. So we're going to go back to game six against the Astros. Here's the pitch. Soto swings and hits one high and deep to right. This is way back. Going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Into the second deck. A tremendous home run for Juan Soto. Bang. Zoom goes the magic wand. Juan Soto gives the Nationals the lead. The real reason I went with it was because I just wanted to hear Charlie Slows say Yeah, that was a great Charlie Slows go bang zoom. (laughs) (laughs) So so good. Hey, Zach, that was such a fun question, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no, of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Since it's the offseason, we can't do a Strange But True segment every week. So instead... You know what we do? We open up the dugout. <laughs> See what I did there? The dugout. <laughs> Dug in. It's the place where we gather around our friend Doug Glanville, and we allow him to tell one of his many entertaining stories about his life and times, and we hope that they actually have something to do with baseball. <laughs> so <laughs> let, let's do that, okay? Since we just got through Thanksgiving... Uh, Doug, I thought it would be cool if you could tell a story that involved baseball, Thanksgiving, and you 
Doug Glanville. <laughs> and now I'll just sit by my fireside and listen. All right. Well, we can cue the campfire sounds. Reminds me of my Ramapo country day camps of summertime. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't look over my shoulder or anything for the actual fireside. You have to use your imagination. <laughs> we'll use it. Yes. Virtual it's the Yule logs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, well, it, Thanksgiving is um, it's certainly my favorite holiday, and it seems like my son has picked up on that as well. And what I remember is growing up in Teaneck, New Jersey. There was a time where family would come up from North Carolina or all over the East Coast, really. And it was my mom's brothers and sisters in particular, or my dad's brother. And they would they would stay at a, our house for a few days. And I'd, you know, sleep under a piano or wherever I can have room. And, you know, it was all about fam- family and food and gathering and thankfulness. And and uh, my mom's family it was, you know, deeply of, of faith in the Southern uh, Baptist traditions of my grandmother. So I always think back to why we'd always talk about what we were thankful for. So on the baseball side, you can think about how all those years we had that tradition of having Thanksgiving at home, and I didn't miss any of them. You know, I was it was just something that I, it was part of my life. But then one year, when I was sort of at that crossroads of coming between, am I going to be a AAA player that had a major league taste, or am I going to be able to establish myself as an everyday big league player? And after a really rough season with a manager that was we were like oil and water in triple a um ron clark of the iowa cubs we um i was able to get a job with tom gamboa who was the at the time in the fall during the fall we would go through an instructional league and tom brought us or brought me down to puerto rico and i was really at the at the bubble we really wasn't sure which way i was going to go in my career and i went to this instructional league in the fall with the cubs with a lot of young guys and I played really well and he decided to bring me and that really changed everything in my career. So when I went down to Puerto Rico, it was going to be this moment where you get towards, you know, this is winter ball. So Thanksgiving, Christmas, these are in the middle of these seasons. And I started to realize like, I don't think I can get home for Thanksgiving and this would be a first. So I realized that uh, looking around the locker room, I wasn't sure where I was going to go for Thanksgiving. And I had some friends that I'd made in the town and all that, but it was different. And then Roberto Hernandez, a uh, longtime closer for many teams, White Sox and so on, he uh, was a teammate of mine. And he said, hey, you know, I'd love to host you at Thanksgiving. And, you know, it reminded me of so much of how in winter ball, people I found, my experience in Puerto Rico was the biggest experience or the value that came from that experience was that I was embraced like family. It was big for my baseball career. But the reason I was able to play so well was that I felt home. And how the the people of Puerto Rico embraced me like family, and that wasn't just because the culture did so as a Trinidadian uh, with my dad in the island culture, but it was also because my teammates every day checked on me, checked on saying they knew I wasn't home, and they said, "Look, we want this to be your home. So do you want to go out to dinner? Do you need something?" And so the icing on the cake was when Roberto Hernandez brought me into his home and was able to have a Thanksgiving that I had been missing for the first time in my life. Uh, so when I think of Thanksgiving, I always come back to some of the best times in baseball I had in Puerto Rico and winter ball, which ultimately completely changed my career. And some of that just started by some of the gestures of my teammates and friends uh, that to this day I keep in touch with. So when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of thanks, I think of baseball, I think of Puerto Rico, 
I think of really life-changing experience that has stayed with me ever since it happened. That's a really cool story. So just so to be clear, you, you didn't have to play a game on Thanksgiving? You know, I don't know if we ever had a game because it would have, if we did, it was a day game. I have to look back. But I know in uh, the way they structured the seasons is I think you had Mondays off or, and had another day. So it was a lot of days off. So I suspect we had the day off that day. And I almost didn't, because of that experience, I almost didn't go home for Christmas. I was like, Mom, I might stay. <laughs> uh, but I said, well, I should I should go home. And um, I want to say, I don't know if that was the same year I got traded, but one of those Christmases I, I did get traded. But, uh, you know, I really uh, found lifelong friends there that to this day I'm still in touch with. When I, when I did the playoff game in Philly, I reached out to one of the family members of a guy who used to help drive to games with us. He was a he was a friend of the teammate of mine on the Mayaguez team who was in high school, and he ended up helping us drive on these late night trips. And after a while, I started going over for dinner, and and I called his grandma Abuelita. So I saw her a few years ago, and she unfortunately recently passed. But I'm still literally in touch with this family. Uh, when I went to visit Puerto Rico, without phone calls, didn't know it was driving around in the parking lot in Mayaguez Mall looking for a parking spot. <laughs> And on a motorcycle, this is 10 years after, you know, leaving Puerto Rico, on a motorcycle is Juan, who's the guy who helped drive. And Juan is like, Glanville! He literally recognizes me in this parking lot. So, and actually, it's, it's much of I played in 92, 90, no, 94, 95. So that, that was like 2011 or something. It was that many years later, I hadn't seen him. And he saw me in a parking lot. So that's how deep the connection still is. Great. Um, you, you know, Doug, I love Thanksgiving. Um, maybe when I was a kid, we used to go away and have Thanksgiving with my cousins. But in, in my adult life, I've, I've never been away from my family on Thanksgiving that I can remember. So to find yourself in Puerto Rico playing baseball while everyone you know is back home overstuffing themselves with food hanging out watching the lions lose <laughs> you know, i was like i can't even imagine how different it must feel so i really appreciate you giving us um a, a taste of that slice of life that gives people an understanding of how ball players need to constantly adjust um their world and their focus and everything that they've known in their, 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 the rhythm of their lives on the, on the way to the big leagues, uh, the road to the big leagues. Um, and not to mention the road to co-hosting podcasts <laughs> in imaginary towns in the 21st century. <laughs> you, you've had a lot of bumps in that. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, okay. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all off-season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the amazing hot stove baseball coverage in The Athletic, which is indispensable, let's tell you how to do that. If you go now to theathletic.com slash baseball show, and you're a new subscriber. You can now subscribe for $2 a month for the next 12 months. How about that? Mm. 
Also remember, you too can be a part of this podcast. Every show, we pick some fun listener trivia question. Then that listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how would you do that? Well, you can email us at Starkville at theathletic.com or Twitter apparently is still in business. That's how <laughs> Zach Farber found us. So, it's on Mars. Um, assuming it's still in business um, next week, <laughs> where could people go about finding Doug Glanville on Twitter? Well, I, I, from my understanding, Elon Musk wants to die on Mars. Uh, so I am on Mars in my own way. So you can find <laughs> yes, you me are. in one of the basins following one of the rovers around. Uh, we could tweet from there. But uh, if you can't find me there, you can find me at Doug Glanville on Twitter, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. And uh, yeah, uh, I have marshmallows in the fire. I don't know. Can he make fires on Mars? I don't know. I, 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 yeah, the, Mar- the rover's up there uh, looking around, so we'll get back to you on that. Um, I'm not on Mars. I don't have time to go to Mars. So you, you can find me at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T on Twitter if it still exists next week <laughs> just remember to hashtag those questions hashtag Starkville QS so Doug thanks for playing thanks to Dave Roberts for visiting us thanks to Zach Farber for stumping us with his trivia question thanks to the mayor of Starkville Tim McMaster for producing us and putting up with us and thanks to you all for listening uh, the mayor and I will be in San Diego at the winter meetings next week uh, so we're going to just relocate the entire town of Starkville for a special winter meeting show. And you know what that means? It means that Doug and I will see you soon on Starkville. Starkville.